beloved congregation of Jesus Christ. If we stop for a moment and think thoroughly about the mechanics of this world, the mechanics of everyday life, it's easy to understand why there are some people, maybe even some people among us, who suffer from extreme, debilitating anxiety. And that's because life is dangerous. People every single day lose their lives or are injured permanently doing normal everyday activities, things like getting groceries, coming home from school, cooking supper, things like that. Every single day, people experience a relationship being shattered. People experience betrayal or loss. People lose their jobs. Every day, something unexpected happens to a lot of people. And, and their world is just turned completely upside down. And there are people who, who truly suffer from, from imagining these things, from, from the fear, the thought that these things might happen to them. They think about all the possible unexpected tragedies, unexpected, unwanted, unwelcome events, and these things can, can simply paralyze you. This world can seem really unstable, you know, ready to collapse in different ways at any given time. Four years ago in 2016, Donald J. Trump was elected president of the United States. And I recall quite a bit of fear and anxiety, utter panic that was expressed across every form of social media that we have. People sincerely panicked over this. The world as we know it seemed to be crumbling for a lot of people. And I'm recalling this especially since this year is 2020. It's another election year, and we can probably expect a lot of the same from south of the border. The future is, humanly speaking, the future is going to be treacherous. It's going to be dangerous. Some of you are legitimately going to find yourselves in the middle of some tragedy. And... There's not one of us that this year is immune from spiritual warfare. Every single one of us, one way or another, is going to be attacked by Satan. We're going to all be betrayed by our own sinful flesh. We're all going to be harassed one way or another by the world. But we're going to go ahead. We're going to keep living we're going to go ahead because we have this wonderful confession. The confession that we begin every single worship service with. We don't fear the world. We don't fear randomness. We don't fear the devil. And that's because our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And we'll see three aspects of this confession. First, we'll see that he is our ever mindful guardian 
We see that in verses 3 and 4 of our text. We see that he is our ever-present guardian, verses 5 and 6, and he is our everlasting guardian, verses 7 and 8. So first, the Lord is our ever-mindful guardian. Psalm 121 is one of the songs of ascent. We can read that inscription in our Bibles. And to be honest, there's quite a bit of uncertainty about the exact function of these songs. Truthfully, only the Israelites living at that time and who, and, and who used them according to their initial use, they're the only ones that know for sure what this means. Literally, it's, it means a, the songs for going up. According to Jewish traditional sources, the going up had to do with approaching the temple itself for worship. There were 15 steps that divided the, um, the outer court from the men's court at the temple, and you would ceremonially, during certain feasts, you would sing one of these songs of ascent for each step that you were going up. There were 15 steps, there are 15 songs of ascent. But more broadly, more generally speaking, these songs were for those who were going up to worship in Jerusalem, those who were traveling from their own cities. We can think of Psalm 122 that we sang at the opening of this service about how to Jerusalem the tribes go up. Going to Jerusalem was always spoken of as going up, going up to the temple. And this is where the idea of the hills come in that we see in the first couple of verses. The hills and the confession about these hills. We see this in verses 1 and 2. As the people of God traveled, as they made their way to Jerusalem, the journey was treacherous. There were steep mountain paths. There were bandits on the way that could rob you or hurt you. And the traveler could gaze at the hills and wonder about his or her security. And we don't know exactly the sense of hills here either. It could be a positive thing, right? As you approach Jerusalem, you see Mount Zion and the surrounding foothills, and the hills direct your focus toward God. I gaze at the hills of Jerusalem, and I am reminded of the God who lives here. He is my God. Or it could be that the hills are supposed to be taken as a negative. I look at the hills and I ask, where does my help come from? Well, the answer is, well, not from the hills. Not the high places of Baal and Asherah. No, on the contrary, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, we don't know for sure which one of the two this is, but one thing is clear. The focus is that along the way, the traveler's confidence is firmly set on the Lord, their faithful God, and the hills remind them of that. And we need this same confidence. We need this same comfort and security as we make our way through this life as pilgrims. In one sense... In one sense, we can consider ourselves to have arrived. We're here. 
We're in the presence of God. As we read in Hebrews 12, you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. We are already here. Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of the things that the temple ceremonies pointed to. He fulfilled these all with his one perfect sacrifice. Our sins are covered. We've been granted greater access to God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Because of his work, today we are living the reality of what Jesus Christ has obtained for us. We are here. We have arrived. We have grasped it. We have begun to live our eternal life with God. But on the other hand, we still have to attain the goal of perfection. We have yet to attain to glory. And this is the way that Peter writes to the Jews in the dispersion. This was our reading earlier. Peter calls us exiles. Not just be, well, he calls them exiles, not just because at one time they were expelled from the land of Canaan and now they live among the Gentiles. He calls them sojourners of this world because their citizenship is in heaven. The same for us. We're just passing through. Our citizenship is in the new heaven and the new earth. And we're just travelers on our way right now. So our daily life, every single day of our lives, can, can feel a lot like what it might be for those Israelites as they're making their way through the mountain passes, having this great expectation in their hearts that they are going to see the city of God. And in the next days, in the next weeks and months and years, we're going to make a little bit more progress toward this city. And as we make our way, we can confess that we depend completely upon God. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is such a, a rich confession. There's a reason that this is the church's confession at the very beginning of every single worship service that we have. We use one slightly different. We use the one that's worded in Psalm 124, but the sense is exactly the same. On whom do we depend? We depend on the creator of the universe. We rely on him for all things. The one who created all things and who still upholds them by his providence. This God, your father, he will not let your foot slip. He will not let your foot be moved.
He won't let your foot be moved because he doesn't sleep for one second. Now let's think about that. Is there anybody here who uses a Fitbit or some other kind of pedometer, a way to keep track of your physical activity throughout the day? Well, I googled how many steps per day generally people take, and it turns out that the average amount is about 10,000 steps per person. And it's probably a little bit more for the younger ones among us. That that's just evident after worship services. The older people kind of stand still, and little kids are flying between all the legs. So it's a little bit more for the kids, maybe a little bit less for us older ones. But anyway, about 10,000 steps per day. And let's do a little math here. According to Wikipedia, there are about 2.4 billion Christians in the world. So, 10,000 steps per per day, 2.4 billion Christians in the world. If we do a little bit of math, God, theoretically, is carefully watching over, he's guarding 277 million steps every second. 277 million steps per second. And that's all we're talking about right now is the steps that Christians are taking. That's all that's under discussion here. Every step that you take is carefully guarded by God, not to mention everything else that he governs in this world. Every speck of dust in the universe, every insect, every creature, every pine needle on a pine tree is counted and accounted for. But your steps, every step that you take of every single day is carefully guarded by your God, your Father. This past summer, we were in Yosemite National Park, and I was taking a couple of the older kids um, near Yosemite Falls. We were hiking on, on the rocks at the base of the waterfall. And the kids, of course, were really eager to, as quickly as possible, just race across these rocks and get up as high as they could. But, of course, I had to slow them down and persuade them to be careful And I told them, every single step that you take has to be a good decision. Every time you set your foot down on one of these rocks here, you have to make sure that you're thinking about it carefully and and you're not doing something foolish. You have to consider every step. And sure enough, as we were hiking, there was a middle-aged man whose foot slipped and he fell and injured his head uh, pretty seriously. Every step of our lives is a potentially dangerous one, but our confession is that God is carefully considering and watching over every single one that you take. 10,000 a day. And the care care that, that we show for our own steps on something like rocky, you know, slippery terrain, the care that we show over every one of our steps there 
it doesn't even compare to the level of care that God exercises over the ones that you just take automatically. God is carefully considering every single one. And we can be confident about this fact, that he doesn't miss one. We can be confident about that because he doesn't sleep. The one who watches over you does not sleep. He who keeps you is how the ESV translates it. That's, that's all one word, he who keeps you. I have translated it in the theme and points as our guardian, your guardian, the one who keeps you, the one watching. He won't slumber. The one keeping Israel doesn't slumber or sleep. Now those two words for, for sleep, they have very similar meanings. But we should think about it this way. The one who watches over Israel won't slumber, he, let alone sleep. He won't, he won't sleep, let alone snooze. The keeper of Israel isn't going to sleep. He won't even snooze a little bit. I've heard it put this way before. Your guardian won't sleep. He won't even do a long blink. He won't even do one single long blink. And I think a lot of us are familiar with the long blink. It makes appearances sometimes in afternoon services. When you're trying so hard to to keep it together and you suddenly realize that your eyes were closed for maybe just a little bit too long. It happens to us. It's pretty scary if it happens to us if we're driving at the time, if we're trying to make it through the night uh, on a road trip or something. You suddenly snap your eyes open and you think, oh no, I've let my guard down for who knows what it was. Could be, could be two seconds could have been 10 seconds, but a lot can happen during that time when, when you let your guard down for just, for just a little bit. Your guardian has his eye on you at all times. He has his eye on every single step that you take. From the time that you're conceived through your whole life until the time that you close your eyes in final sleep and you go to rest. He will not do even one long blink. Not even one. Even when you're sleeping, he's on guard. Your guardian is ever mindful. You can be confident that you will never make a step that wasn't watched over or intended by God. We're able to know. We're able to know that he watches over us with fatherly care. Christ assures us that not even one hair can fall from our heads without the will of God. Because he's our father. He's our father. We get to call him father because he is the father of Christ. And Christ has united us to him in his death and his resurrection. And so we are allowed to call God our heavenly father. 
Because Christ Jesus did this, because Christ became a man, because he performed this glorious saving work, because he granted forgiveness of sins, because he breathed his Holy Spirit into you, he now ushers you into the perfect, watchful care, loving care of his heavenly Father. What a confidence we can have. So, the Lord, our guardian, is ever mindful, and we see that he is also ever present. We see this in verses 5 and 6. That's our second point. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So the Lord is your shade at your right hand. We think about this back to the Israelites who are traveling through the desert, going to Jerusalem. If you're a traveler going through the desert, the sun is one of the most dangerous things that you can encounter as dangerous as bandits are, the sun is even more so. You absolutely need protection from the sun as you make your way through the heat of the day. Shade shade is a, a basic human need for people who live in that region. And we have some examples of this in the Old Testament. We can read in Genesis 18... Uh, when Abraham was sitting in the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, this is when God came and visited him and had a meal with him with those two angels. Abraham invited him to have some water, and he invited him to rest under the trees. Rest in the trees, uh, or under the trees, in the shade, protected from the sun. And we can think of Jonah after after Jonah had finally proclaimed God's judgment to Nineveh, this is after he was in the belly of the, of the whale, after he proclaimed God's judgment to Nineveh, he went and sat and he waited to see whether God's judgment would come and consume the city. And so he was sitting there in the heat of the day and God graciously provided a vine, a vine to grow and provide shade for him. But then later, he also sent a worm to, to chew the vine and to kill it. And the shade that, that Jonah was enjoying was gone. And we read there that the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And it was serious. We read there it was so serious that he wanted to die. Like that's how, that's how excruciatingly serious the, the oppression from the sun was. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. So the sun is a pretty uh, serious thing for a traveler in this region. In our text, we are assured that the Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Our guardian is at our right hand. He's always at hand. He's always present, never departing from us. And it can be a, a little bit unclear why protection from the moon is necessary to, you know, to, to modern ears. It's possible that this is just a poetic way to say you know, day and night 
the Lord is there. He's, he's present uh, during the day while you're going about, about your business. He's present at night while you're sleeping. Always the Lord is at your right hand. He protects you from, from even the most common threats. But it's also possible that, that, that there was this actual fear of the moon. Uh, we can read in, in the New Testament in Matthew 17... Uh, a man comes to Jesus and he asks him to heal his son. His son has epileptic seizures. And the Greek word for this epilepsy, if you literally translate it, uh, it's translated as being moonstruck. And this is, this is also where we have the word for lunatic. It also means literally being moonstruck. So, at that time, there was, uh, there was uh, a genuine belief that you could be somehow affected by the moon and you could have seizures, you could have uh, severely affected you know, health from the moon, you could even have sudden death. You would suddenly die just because of the moon. At any rate, you are assured that God is always near you. The sun by day the moon by night, the Lord is your constant guard, right next to you, at your right hand, protecting and guarding at all times, supplying your most basic common protection. Now, I want to speak very plainly and practically for a moment. We don't always sense that this is the case or we're, we're not we're not always actively conscious of this we're not always acting like it at least you know we have times often i would imagine where we carry on as if this isn't the case we go about our daily activities Things like filling the car with gas, washing dishes, having conference calls. And while we're doing these things, we're not thinking all the time, constantly, that God is here with us. We perform normal life. We do our daily stuff. And it's really easy for for any of us to to just slide into a, a careless mode. When we stop and think about it, well, of course, we, we know that God is always present, but we don't always think about that. And so we can sometimes act as if it isn't the case. If we aren't always conscious of this, then it's really easy to, to pretend that God isn't near and with us. It's really easy to sin as if God does not see it, right? And it's even worse it's even worse. The lack of that sense of the presence of God, that lack is worse if we've become locked into a pattern of sin. If there's something that we're living in constantly, then that sense of God's presence can be far from us. This can happen if we've fallen into a, an especially serious sin as well. And maybe because of these things, you know, we, we've stopped praying. Or if we do pray, it's, it's out of habit. 
It's, it's cursory and, and automatic, not sincere. And the effect of all of this is that faith is not exercised. The exercise of faith is suspended for a time. We can lose the sense of God's favor. We lose the sense of God's presence and, and we become lost. And this is why David begs of God in Psalm 51 after he had committed his sin with Bathsheba. He begged God, please don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. But even if this is the case for some of us, even if for a time, because of our own disobedience, because of our own wandering, we blind our eyes, we blind our senses to God's presence, we're reminded that He's here. Psalm 139, 7-10, I just want to read those few verses together. Psalm 139, 7-10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Because Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God, we can be confident that no matter what, our God is near and caring for us. He is always at our right hand, and He will remain our guardian forever. And that's our third point. He is our guardian now and forevermore. The comfort that your God and Father is speaking to you right now, at this very moment, it's not just for tonight. It's not just for the coming time when things are good. The Lord is absolutely steadfast for you. God is unchanging. God is immutable. And that doesn't mean that, that God is static. It doesn't mean that he's unmoving. It doesn't mean that he's non-acting. No, it means that he is unchangeable in his purposes for you. And this is the comfort that we have in our election. You are here because of God's choice for you in eternity. You are here because of what God had determined for you from before the, the mountains were brought forth, before they were rooted to the earth, before any galaxy ever existed, God's purpose for you was established. Psalm 102, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. You will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them. They will be discarded. But you remain the same. Your years will never end. The Lord, your God and Father, 
The maker of heaven and earth is everlasting. He is steadfast. He is rock solid. Now, I want to address one more thing in these last two verses in in verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 121. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Now, we have to be clear about what exactly is being promised here with these words. Do we believe, do we go from here with with the belief that if all of this is true, that we are immune to anything unpleasant in this life? Do we believe that we'll never experience a broken hip, a heart attack, that, that we'll never be betrayed by a loved one? Do we believe that we're immune to cancer? Do we believe that no unpleasantness will ever befall us? Well, of course not. How could we believe that? We're all going to experience something painful at some point in our lives. But we have to be confident. We have to be confident about what God does promise us about this tragedy, about these things that he has prepared for us to bear, about calamity that comes into our lives. We heard this just a moment ago with, uh, during the, the form for baptism. When you are baptized into the name of the Father, like Adeline was here a little while ago, When you are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father promises that he adopts you as his child and heir, and he promises, he promises to provide you with all good. He promises to avert all evil. Every bit of evil will be steered out of your life, or he will turn it to your benefit. That's what was just promised. We have to be confident. We have to believe and trust that our God, our Father, who just adopted us, is concerned with the long game. He's concerned with eternity for our lives. He's concerned for our eternal well-being. The life that we'll have with Him forever and ever. We have to understand, we have to trust that God's wisdom is so far beyond our own wisdom that when, we, when what we call evil comes into our lives, whatever it is, we have to have the confidence that God is shaping us. God is polishing us through these things. He's preparing us for our eternal life with Him. These things aren't neutral. These things aren't just, well, too bad that happened to you. You just kind of have to get over it and, and, and forget about it. No, it's contributing to something. It's necessary for who God is shaping you into, for, for what God is transforming you into for his purposes. This is for your eternal life. God is shaping us 
in every single one of life's circumstances, major things, minor things. You're going out, you're coming in, you're waking, you're sleeping. He protects you from harm day and night. He watches over every single one of your steps, 10,000 steps a day, and every single one of them is tailored for your eternal life. So you can go ahead into this week, into the coming weeks, the coming months and years, knowing that it's going to be well with you. It will be well with you. That's a guarantee. Even if there's pain and there's suffering involved, it will be well with your soul. Even those of you who know that there's something coming and it's not going to be pleasant. You know you're in for a lot of difficulty pretty soon. Those of you who have new challenges coming up, you are extremely valuable to your God, to your Father. Because Jesus Christ paid an incalculable price for you. You were bought with an immeasurable price. Not silver or gold. You were purchased with his precious blood. And because of that, you can have a, a firm and a sure hope in what's in your future for you. You are destined for an inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade. It's kept in heaven for you. It's prepared for you. Custom made for you. And you are shielded by God's power from now until forevermore when this salvation is revealed. So be confident in your future. You don't have anything to fear because your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen.